0: To begin our mornings with that song. Grace should never be tainted by anything else. Grace, Grace, God's grace. If you have your Bibles turning them to Matthew seven, seven through eleven. Kathleen, if you'll forgive me for uh, switching up my topic, (laughs) as that happens from time to time. Before I begin, let me say to all of you, unless you are homebound or out of town, Facebook Live is not a replacement for physical fellowship with the body of Christ. So, unless you're out of town or homebound, when we have a lot, a lot of people today think that they can get their church fix from sermons that they see on YouTube. But church is not about singing songs. It's not only about singing songs. It's not only about hearing a sermon, it is about God's people. Let me just let me just belabor this point just a little bit more. If you have your bibles, turn them really quickly to Acts 2. I want to bring this point home. I want to make it. It's my pre-sermon sermon. Don't tell me I preach long on Super, Super Bowl Sunday when you go home and watch 2 hours of pre-game coverage. To tell you what you already know, which is that Tom Brady is going to win another Super Bowl. (sighs) I mean, I'm not rooting for him, y'all. But facts are facts. Verse 42, chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as then he had need and day by day attending the temple together and in breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That means they even ate together. I'd like to see us together for Wednesday night dinners. If there's one thing that this pastor is serious about, it's fellowship. Because the early church was serious about fellowship. Because God is eternally in fellowship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us be then equally as serious about our fellowship. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Several weeks ago I preached a sermon on prayer. And there were a lot of questions about it. So I wanted to follow up with a post-sermon on prayer. And this is a wonderful sermon a wonderful passage for us to deal with. It's one that I believe is misleading to many and can be of great value when we find out exactly what Jesus has in mind here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil... For those of you who said Jesus didn't use strong language... The Greek means, you who are evil. Know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts or give good things to those who ask Him? The Bible commands us to pray. Well, why? God is sovereign. He has foreordained everything that will ever come to pass. He knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it. Why pray? The obvious answer to the question is because, number one, He tells us to pray in His Word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17-18, pray without ceasing. Is that good enough? Give thanks in all circumstances. Is that good enough? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will that His people be a praying people. His word commands us to pray without ceasing in all circumstances because it is His will. When parents tell their children, their, their children to do something... And the child asks why. It usually irritates us because we know our will for them is better than that what they could ever want for themselves. When we tell them to go to bed and they fight us on it. Like last night. Oh gosh. We know what's better for them. And so we feel indignant and we say to our children, what? Jackie, I'm looking right at you. What do you say? You say to your children, because I said so. And really, that should be enough. For God's people, that should be enough. God's people are to be a praying people. But there is still a better reason that we might give. Theologian John Frame hits the nail on the head. Listen to what he says. You've heard this before, at least this first line. Prayer changes things. Or to put it more theologically, says Frame, God ordains for prayer as a means to change history. That is that God has sovereignly chosen for His people to pray, and through those prayers, we might be participants in changing history. There are things that happen because of prayer and things that do not happen because of no prayer, says Frame. But within that eternal plan are many plans for means and ends. He ordains that we will have everything we truly need, but not without prayer. God's eternal plan has determined That many things will be achieved by prayer, and many things will not be achieved without prayer. That we should pray is a given. The question, though, this morning that I want to address is how should we pray? This morning, I want to talk about praying good prayers. Let's pray. Father, it is only because of Jesus that we can even talk to you. If it weren't for what Jesus did on our behalf, there would be no talking to you. Men and women all over the world in vain speak to you without the blood of Jesus Christ, without his sacrifice, and their words fall on deaf ears. It is through Christ alone that we enter into your throne room with boldness as your children. And we are grateful for that. But Lord, we are your children. We are being renewed and created in your image. To desire what you desire. And to ask of you what is according to your will. Teach us to pray good prayers. Amen. My sermon outline is going to address three points. First, I want to address how we should not pray. I want to dispel some of the myths about prayer. Second, I want to look at how we typically pray. How we pray today. And then third, I want to talk about how we should pray. Number one, how we should not pray. In our passage this morning... It tells us to do three things, ask, seek, and knock. But those verbs aren't the big issue. The big issue in this text is that it says anyone and everything, or anything and everyone. And so what I want to look at this morning briefly before we get into the meat of our sermon is how we should not pray. Number one, does anything mean anything? And the answer to this is no. We should not pray for anything. Imprecatory prayers, Jerry, are off the plate for you. You cannot pray that your neighbor who has that dog who goes potty on your yard keel over. You're not allowed to do that. So it does not mean anything. Listen to how James says it. James says, We ask and do not receive because we ask wrongly. So it can't mean anything. James says, We ask, we do not receive because we ask in the wrong way. What does he mean that we ask wrongly? He means that we ask with the wrong motives. In this case, James is talking about selfishness. And he says, we ask in order that we may spend it on our passions. Passions meaning desire for worldly things that when we don't get, we resort to sinful means. We don't even ask God in this passage for such things because we know He won't answer them. Look at what James says in Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Notice what's missing here. Prayer. Some of the things we know we shouldn't be praying for, so we don't even ask and we involve ourselves in evil practices. You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Then, he says in the last part of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. So many of us spend Monday through Friday running after things, things, material possessions. We know better to even ask God for. But then some of us, James notes, are cheeky enough to even ask God. He says you ask though and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then he says this. This is an interesting tag on here in verse 4, you adulterous people. Why are we adulterous for asking things to consume those things for ourselves? He calls the selfish person adulterous. Why? Because the selfish person desires idols rather than God. God is a jealous lover of His people. He desires us to desire Him and not things. Listen to your prayers. I have been made very aware of this recently with praying with my children that I ask for things and I don't ask for God. That in my prayer life, when I am running after, is everything except God. God, keep us safe. God, keep us healthy. God, take that mole away. God, make sure that I get more money. Give us these jobs. And I never get to the thanking, to the adoring, because we don't have time for that. We've got a list. And like Santa Claus, we've got to get that list out. But James says, that makes us adulterous when our prayer life is focused on things and not a person. Doug Heffernan from King of Queens once said, this does not equal this. There's no thing that can fulfill our desires other than Him. And so James says we are adulterous when we pray for or covet after or desire to have anything other than God Himself. Think about the the sheer privilege of prayer bringing you into the throne room of God. That cost Jesus His life. On the cross, at His death, the curtain that once separated the holiest of men, the priest, the chief priest, only until the day of atonement and through the blood, now is torn in two and everyone has access to the throne room of God. To have the person and not the things. And so anything here cannot mean any John Frame says we should not pray for anything that is contrary to the Scriptures. It means then that when we begin to pray, we need to ask ourselves, God, how should I pray? Change my heart to pray the way you want me to pray. When you get married, before you get married, you want to find out your person or your your spouse's love language. It only took me nine years to figure out what my spouse's love language was. You need to figure out how everyone in your life expects you to relate to them. Men, groping on your wife does not make her happy, but a soft touch. Yelling at your children is not going to build a relationship with them, but kind and gentle discipline and guidance... Because you have to relate to them the way they need and want and desire to be related to. And God is the same way. God is a person. He's not a vending machine. Talk to Him as a person. Don't think about a formula. Although there are some good ones. Acts, adoration, contrition. Thanksgiving, supplication. But don't think about that. Your relationship with God as a formula. He's a person. You've entered into his presence. It cost him something for this. Don't treat him like a genie. He is not your genie. But then he says everything. But what about everyone? Does everyone hear If anyone, he says, include everyone, does that then include non-believers? Does this mean then that non-believers can ask anything of God and it will be answered to them? That if they seek it, they will find it. That if they knock, it will be open to them, even non-believers. And the answer is a resounding no. Non-believers, be warned Because what I am about to tell you is this. There is but one prayer for you. Be merciful upon me, a sinner. That's your prayer to God. If you are here today and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your relationship with God is nothing until you rectify it and are reconciled to Him through Christ. Don't cheapen. This relationship. Don't think that he would be a father who would send his son to die so that that curtain could be torn in two and that you, who reject his son, will get everything else from him. Remember, he is a person. And I don't know about you, but when persons don't want anything to do with my family, I don't want anything to do with them. Because we are one. See this right here? One flesh. That's it. Don't come to me talking about my what? Don't, 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 don't do that. But don't go to her talk. It's probably more likely you'll do that. Don't you do it. We are one. But why do you think, non-believer? I'm glad I got all this room, that, by the way, now. Why do you think that you can reject God's son and he'd answer Your prayer requests for anything. Number one, we just learned he doesn't answer for anything. But second, why would he answer while you reject his son? Can anyone pray? Of course there's nothing in God's being that would prevent him from hearing the prayers of unbelievers. It's not like they have been muted We know that God is omniscient and that there is nothing that he doesn't know. When a tyrant prays, God knows every despicable word and every despicable motive behind every despicable word, even before the tyrant prays it. There is nothing that keeps God from hearing the prayers of the unbelievers. What we are really asking is this question. Do non-believers enjoy the same privileges in prayer that believers do? And once again, the answer is a resounding no. Let me just read a couple of scriptures for you. Ephesians 3.12, in whom, speaking of Christ, we have boldness and access With confidence through our faith in Him. Boldness and access to God because we have faith in Christ. We are privileged. Bought by Christ's blood to be and speak with the Father. Hebrews 7.25. Now now you tell me how a non-believer can speak to God if he has not access through Christ. Real access. Not open sesame magic word access. Hebrews 7:25. Consequently he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him that is through Christ since he always lives to make intercession for them who those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus makes intercession to the Father for our behalf. Hebrews 10:19 through 24 or 22. Therefore brothers since we have confidence brothers That means we have the same Father. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... The holy places is where God is by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen to the emotional language of prayer. It is a real spiritual act. It is a covenant now. Signed and sealed in the blood of the Son. That's prayer. So no, non-believers, you do not enjoy the same privileges that believers do. But the good news is, you can. It begins with the confession of our sins. And the reception of Christ as our Savior. The Bible tells us that not everyone gives us or has access to the Lord. Non-believers certainly do not enjoy the intercessor in Christ since they have not called on him to be their intercessor. Furthermore, James tells us that those in whom their passions wage war against them pray only that they may consume for themselves. God will not be fooled by our prayers. He knows our hearts. And God will not reward those that have a heart for selfishness and not a heart for him. Therefore, Matthew 7, 7 through 11 is for believers. The ask, the seek, and the knock is for you, Christian. It is good news. But let's talk then about what that means for us. How do we normally pray? Matthew tells us that our heavenly Father gives infinitely, that's inferred, infinitely better things or infinitely good things as opposed to our earthly fathers. Good is, of course, a relative term, right? A good game for a quarterback is when he throws 250 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. For Tom Brady, that's a bad game. He's such a jerk. Um, But of course it could be better. But in our passage here, the good things we're asking for are relative to the standards that God himself has set and not the low standards of men. God has set for us in prayer high standards and not low standards. So Jesus asked the question, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What is the point? Men, evil men, know how to give good gifts according to their evil ways. But God gives infinitely greater gifts according to His goodness. So I want you to see what's happening here. Evil men can give good gifts. All men, all women, everyone, evil. My father, for Christmas, was not a very romantic person. He would walk into the room. remember one Christmas. In fact, the Christmas before I got serious about saving money, it was when I was in my fubu phase. I loved fubu. I had to wear... F- <laughs> what a stupid name, by the way. Fubu. And I wore that, man, I loved it. And it was, like, it was like $100 for like a shirt and some jeans, you know, $100 and $150 for a shirt and some jeans. And I remember my dad knew because I had made a request. I said, yeah, these are the clothes I want. And he came into the room and he gave me $100. <laughs> you can't even get one pant leg FUBU, for 100 bucks, And he says, here, go ahead, spend it however you want. And I thought, man, he is so cheap. I had, (laughs) and I had an epiphany within the next year. And I remember having a conversation with a young with with a guy at my work who began to talk to me about saving money. And I began to save my money. And I saved it and saved it. If I had a penny, I saved it. I stayed home on Friday nights. I didn't go out. I used to spend my entire paycheck before the weekend was up. And I remember the Christmas, the first Christmas, my father, being evil, noticed that I was taking my savings very seriously. And he walked in and he handed me a check for $1,000. And he says, I know you're going to use this for good. That's a good Father, being evil gave a great gift. And for about six, seven years there, every Christmas, dad would cut an unromantic $1,000 check that we would put in our savings that helped me take care of a, a young family, a wife who was going in school. And we would use that as a surplus. That's a good gift, and I never forget it. But Jesus wants us to compare that really good gift from our evil fathers who give good to the way that a good and infinitely greater God gives good gifts. So he doesn't answer it and he just says, How much more? How much more is a rhetorical question, even though it doesn't end with a question mark. It actually ends with an exclamation mark because it's exclaiming this, it's a statement. You can't even calculate what your good God, who knows better than your evil father, would give you through prayer. It's incalculable. That's what he's teaching us. You've got evil fathers. They give good gifts. But you've got an infinitely good father. And he knows exactly what you need. God knows better. My earthly father knew how to give good gifts, but the gifts that God has given us are far better. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has been about a shift then in our priorities from worldly pursuits to the holiness of God. The relationship that we have now is with God and not with earthly social groupings or earthly people only, but primarily with God because our religion is with God. God looks at our hearts. And so this whole sermon has been about changing our priorities from worldly pursuits, from worldly things. The Beatitudes are the best example of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do we think then at the end of this sermon, Jesus has lost his sight and now he was telling us to ask for lesser things? No. This is a message for kingdom people hearing a kingdom message, to pray like Christians. Matthew 6, 31, 33 said this, Don't be anxious about things. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles, that is the non-believers, seek after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Instead, when you pray, he doesn't say when you pray, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus wants to change the way we pray. So how do we normally pray? We normally pray for things and not to God himself as a person. When we ask, we ask that we may consume. When we seek, we seek other things than God. When we knock, we knock on the door of someone else. Now this verse tells us That we can ask even for these smaller things, and I'm certainly not saying we should not ask for secondary things, but we should not begin with asking for secondary things. When we are in need of food and shelter and clothing, when we're sick, when we need strength for our faith, wisdom for our decisions, and help for our tasks, God is the one who grants all those things to us through prayer. But prayer should be so much more. In fact, how many of us have wonderful, trivial things without even praying? Of course, we know God grants them to us. But hard work pays off. There is something in the American parable that says, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Young person, don't expect to be rich and famous when you don't put any work into it. You're not going to be a famous rock star learning how to play Guitar Hero. Famous rock stars become famous from hours of bloody fingers, spent in a basement, sacrificing friendship and relationship to get it. That's the price they pay. And so, yes, you can get these trivial things through hard work. And Christian, you shouldn't expect that because you've got God that somehow you don't have to work hard. God's word said if a man does not work, he should not eat. That is 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul said that to the church. For when we hear that some among you walk in idleness... Not busy at work, but busy bodies. I always picture the big person sitting on the couch, picking up the phone, gossiping when he says that. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Busy with their mouth. And Paul says, such persons we command... And encouraging the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living, says Paul. So when we pray for these trivial things, you make sure that in your Monday through Friday, your day to day, that what you are praying for is a one-to-one correspondence in the effort that you pour in to your life to have and provide Things, But asking, seeking, and knocking for God means we're asking Him for what He and He alone can grant. Worship of Him. Hannah's prayer when she heard the news that she would have a son, the first words out of her mouth were, My soul exalts in the Lord. Provisions we ask. Forgiveness for sins we knock. Faith. And much, much more. But why do we even need to say all this? Isn't it obvious to us that we don't go to God and ask only for material things, that we may consume them for ourselves? Apparently, name it and claim it, and health and wealth prosperity gospel has been there since the beginning, and the early church has used prayer only as a means of getting trivial things. Well then... How should we pray? What I am advocating this morning is not for you to stop asking God to care for your needs. Jesus has taught us, pray for God's daily bread. Keep us from sin, from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. To pray for those provisions And I am not advocating that we stop there. We don't need to stop praying for safety and health and job opportunities and all the other secondary things that matter in this life because they still come from God. He causes it to rain on the just and unjust and the sun to shine on the just and unjust. Here's what I'm saying. We must not neglect the weightier matters of asking, seeking, and knocking on God's door because we desire Him above all else. We know that God desires us to ask and seek and knock for greater gifts. But Jesus said the Gentiles, when they knocked, when they asked, when they sought, they sought for things only They called out for the meager things of life. They desired that which perishes. But believers must desire that which is imperishable. Namely, God Himself. Our seeking has been directed by Christ. Our prayer life, our asking and our knocking has been directed by Christ for these two things, God's kingdom and His righteousness above all else in our prayer life. Therefore, when we pray, we pray in the confidence that God's Spirit works in us to seek God's will and not our will always to be done. 1 John 5, 14-15 says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask, here's that word, anything. The confidence then this morning, as I spent this morning dismantling all of, your, all of our misunderstandings about what prayer is and asking for anything, here we find ourselves putting it back together and erecting the proper way to pray. We're back to that word again. Here it is. Have confidence. This is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Wow. Listen to the in that you have, believer. If you pray according to God's will, Anything according to God's will, he will answer it. That means that when he doesn't answer your prayer, it must not have been according to his will. Or that his will was better when he gave you what he gave you. And that is a mystery beyond finding out, but it takes a heart of faith that says like Job, though he saves me, I will trust him. When every heretic in your life shows up on your deathbed and says, this is where you got to because of the sin in your life, you say, away from me. God chooses to do what He wants with us. We are but clay, and He is the molder. But that's not it. What about those years and years of praying? Just this past Friday, we buried a woman for 43 years, 43 years, The son and the the daughter-in-law prayed for her salvation and three weeks before she died she called her daughter-in-law into the room and said, read to me from the Bible. And she prayed to receive Christ. 43 years! John says, if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, We know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. One theologian has said this, whatever we request, whenever we request it, should always follow with a prayer under our breath or out loud, if it be your will. You want to know how to pray a good prayer this morning? Ask it in the knowledge that Christ has purchased for you the right To stand there and ask anything according to His will. That's how to be praying good prayers. Listen to David as we leave. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Do we say that in our prayers? Do our prayers sound like this? Your testimonies are my delight. Your word is my counselor. Do our prayers sound like Jesus? Where we say to God, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do we draw near to him with faith? In the knowledge that it is impossible to please him without faith. Christian, I leave you with this challenge this morning. Mature in your prayer life towards God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and His will. Let's pray. God, teach us to desire You in our prayer life. Show us, Lord, that things Jobs, relationships, everything in this life is like chaff, blown away with time and corruption. But you, God, are an everlasting God. Whenever we come to you, the line is never busy. Whenever we come to you... In the knowledge of your will and through your Son, you answer our prayers. What a privilege. Teach us, Lord, in our prayers to desire you. Teach us to thank you for what you've done. Teach us to adore you. Teach us, Lord, to recognize that everything that we have in our life clothes. Food and shelter was given by you. You know that we need those things. Teach us, Lord God, to spend less time on those things and more time just acknowledging your grace, your marvelous grace. You are almighty, Father. Elevate our prayers today to a personal relationship with you. Thank you, God, for purchasing us that relationship through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.